Hi, everyone. Thank you for tuning into Unapologetically Different Podcast. This is Season 9, Episode 71. I'm your co-host, Key. And I'm your co-host, Coach P. And we are so excited to have the talented illustrator, Elijah Rutland, on our show today. Now, if that name doesn't ring a bell, we are sure you have seen his work. Elijah is the creator of the original Black Ralph meme for the hit cartoon Ed, Ed, and Eddie. Yes, and this meme basically took over the internet and had some even saying it took over the title of Meme King from Spongebob, so that's big. (laughs) Heard you. But he is more than that. He's a digital illustrator, sneaker artist, FAMU student, Warner Brother animation intern, and CEO of Fix My Soul. He is so young and has already accomplished so much with a very bright future ahead of him. We'd like to extend a warm welcome to the show, the one and only Elijah Rutland. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome. Really glad to have you on. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. I'm really glad to be here. Oh, yes. And just so for the the listeners out there, Elijah's actually in Florida right now. So he's going to be joining us via Skype. So I'm really excited to get into this. And honestly, you're the youngest person we've had on our show today. You got me feeling mad. Old over here. (laughs) Facts. We both 30. So we feeling a little old over here. But we're so happy to have you on our show and to share your insight. Elijah's a little low-key chill, but we're going to turn him up on this interview because I don't like all this calmness. You know, I need a little spite. Oh, easy, easy, easy. I know he's young. I can't play with him too much. (laughs) All right, now we're about to get into it. So let's just dive in. How has your life changed since your work went viral, and has it been a big adjustment for you? Overall, it's gotten a lot better. Uh, Like since then, there's been a lot more eyes on my work. I've been able to do a lot more with it. And also, because like before, like when I go out in public, people like recognize my shoes, and that was how mm. they knew who I was. But now people recognize my face, like whether I have on a pair of something I painted, or whether I have on just a suit or anything. So, um, like people recognizing me is kind of that's been an adjustment. Yeah, yeah. Um, not used to that. Yeah. Um, but uh, just overall, it's been really good. Cool. How do you react, though? Because it seems like you got, like, a, a sharp persona. So, like, yeah. how do you react when people approach you off of your, like, sneaker attire and you're getting all of this, like, you know, recognition at such an early on in terms of your age and where you're at in your life? How does that, your initial reaction? Well, I am a sharp person. Okay. Uh, so, sometimes it can be kind of awkward, like, depending on the situation. Yeah. But I'm always, you know, glad to meet people. Cool. And I'm glad that the reason people know me is because of my art, not because of any kind of negative yeah. association. That's um, true, especially as a black so, man. Yeah. And really, that thing I'm most proud of about this whole thing is that all the attention, the praise, the support, everything I've been able to receive has been because of my art and my talent. And, Sweet. And because of that. And so that, that's really uh, the best part about it. Great. And what are your thoughts on this new meme culture? Do you think it is an overall positive thing? Yeah, I think my case was a little bit different because usually when you see memes and things like that, a lot of times the people who created them don't get credit. Um, this is true. Mm-hmm. A lot of that sometimes is because, from what I've seen, the people who create them usually aren't artists. So they might just post on Twitter and 
when they go viral one time and stuff. But the fact that the picture I drew, it wasn't intended to be a meme. So then when I posted it, and I see people just taking off with it. And all this <laughs> Looking stuff. out the window. Take it right now. <laughs> I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, not for nothing, this dude I know used that on yeah. me when he was like, he looking out the window waiting on me. I'm like, really? <laughs> Keep looking. What that mean was lit, though. <laughs> That's mad funny. <laughs> He's like, I'm always going to be looking out the window. I was like, you got her right here, there, Ralph. But um, yeah, I just want to touch on that point. But I'm glad that you're speaking to what your personal experience is like and how you're drawing attraction from it in this meme culture. And I think that's the thing with memes. No one expects it to become a meme until it's a meme, you know, like until something happens and become like a viral thing. But when you see your work become something that basically transform into something completely different and take its own direction, how does that make you feel as an artist? That part also makes me feel really good because... Um, one thing I like with my art is make it relatable mm-hmm. to to um, just like everyday situations, everyday people. Yeah, and that's a party, by the way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, everyday and for people. people. And actually, that was the reason why I drew it because if you're familiar with like the original rock hair and with the, the blue hair, oh, that, yeah. that, was, that was the meme that was going around first like maybe a couple weeks or something yeah and I, I, I was on twitter and i thought it was really funny yeah and um so i just thought it'd be funny just to redraw it to look like myself um because at that time i had a lower haircut yeah so okay. I, I just redrew it to look, look like me and um i changed the caption and i, I just thought it was, it was something mm-hmm. that i thought was funny and like a lot of my other artists friends would think was funny too and um yeah that was just the whole uh, intention behind it yeah. i didn't think it go from looking like me to having box braids <laughs> with the cornrows <laughs> they literally od like, <laughs> you see every Yo, every hairstyle people, has boy, been on that <laughs> i love our people we make anything out of anything boy i, I seen one the other day it was uh <laughs> the dude was working at wendy's and he had a hat stop. on <laughs> he was stop. tight <laughs> Um, I'm very curious, like, where do you draw your inspiration from when it comes to your artwork? Most of it is from either real life experiences or things I see on TV or watch. Or in general, it's just based on things that I've experienced. Uh, and other artists mm-hmm. that I like as well, because um, I'm a big fan and advocate for black artists. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and the representation and appreciation for black artists is in there. And whenever I can, I always like to, you know, pay tribute to the people who inspire me and the stuff that influences me every day. Cool. Can you speak to what artists actually inspire you and yeah, where you pull um, from? There's Jonathan Green. Okay. He got really popular around the Harlem Renaissance. Okay. Um, period. Well, you took it back. Heard you. Uh, Oh, he woke, woke. He woke, woke. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And like Jonathan Green, Jacob Lawrence, Ernie Barnes. Um, I don't know if you've seen good, you've seen Good Times, but yeah, you, you know that painting, like everybody dancing in, in the set. Yeah, yeah, he did that. Okay, um, like Ernie Barnes, Hebrew Brantley, Ronette Honeywood. I mean, okay. just a lot of a lot like, of notables. Sung, you just throwing names out there. Yeah. And what got you put on to those artists? Like, how did that come about? You know what I'm saying? Not because of age more so, but like, what got you so focused around their work? When did you get exposure to their work? It was actually my parents. Um, okay. They are big collectors of black art. So Sweet. like all around the house, going up, we have these paintings from these different artists. Like, there's a Jonathan Green painting that's hanging up in my room. Okay. So, so I, I, I let me know when you day. plan on selling that. Okay. <laughs> Teasing. I don't know about that. <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> but yeah. But, oh, um, okay. And when my dad was a little bit younger, he, he and one of his 
best friends, they were art dealers. So that was when he started collecting art. And so like all throughout my childhood and all the way up to um, I went to college, basically, I would see these paintings. And if we were older, I was able to understand and appreciate them more than just being a painting on the wall. Yeah. And I could see how all the paintings we have represent certain things in black culture. Or just like going to a kickout, going to school, going to church, yeah. whatever. And so I was able to understand, appreciate, and relate to the paintings more. Sweet. So that's really where most of my inspiration comes from. I really like that you said that because on one of our earlier shows we had on Mad King, he's also an artist. And one thing he spoke about was it's really important if you want to be great with your art to be able to look back at the greats and see what they've done yeah. and draw inspiration because success leaves blueprints behind. And I think you're already mm-hmm. on a great track right now and because you have that knowledge of the history and you're educated about it and have such an appreciation at a young age so that's really awesome to hear that and that kind of leads into the next question how important is it for you to focus on topics like black history or black empowerment politics or just social issues especially in this time that we're in through your art i think that's the most important thing because if i don't do it then nobody else will nice and not just me but like artists as a whole like if we don't talk about our issues we can't depend on Fox, we can't depend on CNN, we can't depend on any of the major outlets to do it because it's not their interests. Mm-hmm. So, and really, in any period of history, artists have always been the ones who were the major voices of, of the community. Like, even Nina Simone has a quote that says, it is an artist's duty to reflect the times. Yes. And that quote really, really explains it all. Even with, like, her music, it was really big on uh, talking about, like, what was going on. Yeah. During her time period, um, people like, like I mentioned, with Jacob Lawrence and Jonathan Green, they would do a lot of paintings um, about the Harlem Renaissance, the Great Migration, which is one of uh, Jacob Lawrence's most famous mm-hmm. paintings ever. And so being able to capture moments in history in art is, that's the most important thing to me. So you think through your art, you're somewhat bringing light to issues in our communities, which is very important. Also, you're carrying that torch. You're like becoming responsible in that right, which is like, that's not necessarily something you have to do, but you're doing it. Just like a lot of leaders in our communities have utilized their platform. When did you feel like it was your right to illustrate through your art what is going on in our communities? And why is it so important for you to make your art a part of that? Because you could easily draw something frivolous, you know what I'm saying? A little birdie or something. And ain't nothing with no significance to it. But why is it that you may, is it because of your upbringing or is it because of things you saw in your community, especially being in Florida? Like what draw you to that? Because essentially you're an activist through your art. I would say it's a combination of everything, just my upbringing, like all the things I've experienced and seeing the people who I look up to do it. Also, I'm like a really big uh, history nerd. Okay. So, so that combined with being able to paint, being able to create art that means something oftentimes works better for me personally, mm-hmm. just because I'm not a talkative person. Yeah. So see that. it's better for me to make a painting about a topic than just to get up and, and talk. Okay. Like and so- talk to a person. And so mm-hmm. it's me and my way of like communicating my thoughts and ideas. Mm, okay. I like Valid. that a lot. And also you said you're big on history buff. So you attend FAMU. What is that experience like? Did that enhance your knowledge of your history in terms of what you know and pertaining to like black history and slavery or is stuff you known prior to? Florida FAMU has definitely been a major part of my growth. I generally knew a lot about what they were saying, but like when I took my African American history class, like the class would go like into the deeper details. Things that really aren't on the internet. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And like stuff that like maybe my professor learned from a professor who was here in the 40s who actually marched 
in this civil rights movement who mm-hmm. might have been a part of the bus boycotts. So they know like a lot of oral history. Yeah. First um, hand accounts of people who went through the uh, things that we learned about. So um, attending FAMU definitely increased my knowledge as far as history goes. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, it's been really, really good. Great. And I'm glad you're really speaking to that. And, and now too, I'm glad that we're on the topic of college because now there's conversations about What's the basis of going to college? Is it even the right approach because of the way the economy is? And, you know, college degree ain't nothing no more. Like, you need a doctorate and for them to even look at your name, much less to consider your ass for an interview. So speaking along those lines, do you feel like you making a choice to go to college was the right decision you made? Or you feel as if you should have did something else because of what's current state of the economy? Also, definitely going to college, like, in my situation, was best choice because like i don't come from like a rich family so mm-hmm. I, for me i didn't have the luxury of just sitting at home painting hoping somebody would see it yeah yeah, yeah. speak so, on yeah. it so, speak on so it so my bill gates dropped out of college mark zuckerberg dropped out but i'm not bill gates i don't look like mark zuckerberg no. you definitely don't have bill gates family money so yeah for, for me it was either go to college or i'll be working at GameStop. so <laughs> You should get some discounts. So, but I heard yeah. you, though. So, <laughs> <laughs> heard you, so though. It, it's really, you know, it's expensive, all that. But going to college, and specifically going to FAMU, made all the difference in what I've been able to, to do and been able to accomplish. Um, okay. I think the biggest thing was leaving home and experiencing another environment. Mm-hmm. Have you all heard the quote, like, a pig doesn't know he's in slot until he leaves? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was basically like that. Leaving home made me want to do more. It, okay. Yeah, just like it, it, it made me, it, it, it opened my view. So I'm like, I, I can do this, or I can be more than like what I've seen in other people from my hometown do. Yeah. And, and going to college was the only way I could do that. Like out of high school, I, I didn't have money to move to California to go to Los Angeles and chase my dreams. Yeah. Going to college was the avenue mm-hmm. for me to be able to do that and to be able to do it smartly and not be out here struggling. I'm curious, was going away to college, is that what sparked you to start your company, Fix My Soul? And can you just let the listeners know about the company and what you do? I actually started that in high school. Mm, okay, mm. so you already so, on it early. Yeah, so I, I started that when I was 15. That basically happened because around second or third grade, I'd always been drawing and stuff. And that was another time when like all my friends were wearing like, Jordans and Nikes and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so I would always ask my parents to buy them. They were like, oh, they would only that. give me, <laughs> you know, they would only give me like case lists and that, that kind of stuff. Yeah, it happens, so, bro. <laughs> It'd be like that so sometimes. <laughs> It'd be like that sometimes. Me, me and my little brother have to share one white uptown all school year. Yo, bro. <laughs> It'd be like that. Oh, like, I, I, used to, I used to come home with them dirty. He used to get so tight. <laughs> like tight. I used to wear my older brother clothes, but I liked it because I was a tomboy and my mother wasn't going to buy me anything baggy like that. So I just used the rocket's clothes. But yeah, to the point. Yeah, sorry. Sorry, a little tangent. Since they went buying for me, I used to, I started drawing them. Oh, okay. On paper. Mm. And I would like draw them and I would color them how the color I wanted. So basically, I was customizing shoes before I knew what I was doing. Wow. So fast forward to like, 
10th grade. I still didn't really have issues or anything like that. And like a couple months before, I've been trying to get hired, just get a part-time job. Because I was mm-hmm. like 14, 15, I wanted boss, you know, just enjoy it. Mm-hmm. You know, I've been trying to you know get hired at Publix. They didn't want to hire me, so I was like, because I've been on YouTube and I, I seen other people like painting shoes. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, oh, oh, this is cool. I'll just try this, see what happens. And so I went to Goodwill. I bought a pair of shoes. I bought the paint for Walmart, mm-hmm. which was a mistake. I'll find out later. But, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Listen. But I, I um, then I, I did my first pair, posted on Facebook. Okay. And basically, I just kept going from there. This was in 2015. Okay. And that snowballed into basically what I have now. Yeah. What's like your dream sneaker collaboration? I'd rather want to do a collab with Reebok on a Kamikaze E2. Okay. The, the ones that Sean Camp wore uh-huh. or a pair of Jordan ones. Okay. Just, those are my two favorites. Okay. If Reebok or anyone from Jordan Brand is listening, yes, stop affirmations is real. Let it happen. Stop playing and hit up Elijah. A word, hit him up real fast before he get big Please. for y'all. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I'm glad you pointed out there. And also, too, we're very big on affirmations. So please definitely put it out there. Live on that wave. Ain't nothing wrong with that. You got this all for a reason. So definitely keep it pushing. Exactly. Um, and speaking of, as a young entrepreneur, what advice would you give to peers in terms of starting their own business? One, make sure that whatever business you're starting is what you're talented in. It'll take more than passion to create a successful business. Mm-hmm. Uh, because your talent isn't necessarily your gift or your passion. Mm-hmm. I know. And, yes. And that really changed a lot for me. Um, mm-hmm. Because like our freshman year, college i was in band and i had been in band all throughout high school okay and when i was going to my sophomore year i was trying to decide because like, band is a passion just like art is a passion mm-hmm. okay but i, I realized I, my talent is in art I, okay. I could play the trumpet and i was good but it wasn't my talent mm-hmm. and so that was kind of where i knew i had to um, let that go oh and also really the most important thing is to keep going yes um, that's honestly the most important thing because there were so many moments before when I wanted to quit and just stop painting and just I don't know, do something else. Yeah. But only where I am today, just because I kept painting and mm-hmm. I kept drawing and I kept doing that. So number one is definitely keep going. I really like that answer you gave because you said it perfectly. When you're talented at something and you actually put your energy into that, it can develop and grow into something amazing and then but outside of being talented because a lot of people have talent the hard work and that perseverance is really what takes you over the top so again the fact that you know that at such a young age and you already are like acknowledging and listening to people like steve harvey like nina simone who put these gems out there throughout history like i think that's it's really great, and it's always good to see a young brother just being educated and then also just doing things the right way and just moving towards just being great and then also dropping those gems out there to support and help other people because like that crab in the barrel mentality can definitely hold people back in our community, but it seems like you're really on it and trying to put that good information out there for other people. So I just yes. want to commend you for that. Very, oh. very true. Thank yes. You. Speaking of, so, I mean, granted, Pierre and I are of a part of the millennial generation. Um, what is something that the older generation gets wrong about your generation? Keep it a hundred, Elijah. Don't be shy now. <laughs> be shy we hit you with a good one i right. did right. well, right. a lot of things for sure <laughs> 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 i was just expecting but, one answer he said there's a lot of things 
So what the but, millennials but think, got wrong? I would say it's mainly a lot in how how they think. Okay. Because like when I first started painting, mm-hmm. I, I would do like Facebook live videos of me painting. Okay. And but the problem is, or the problem my dad had was I was staying up really late, like 11, 12 o'clock painting on live, but like hundreds of thousands of people were seeing the videos. So I, I knew what I was doing, but my dad is... He old school. Yeah, he, he's from the Earth, Wind, and Fire generation. Yeah. So, you know, he, he older than TV, way older than internet, all this stuff. <laughs> he older than TV, child. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so he didn't understand. He just thought I was Shit. just playing with the phone and you know yeah so the main thing that they don't do is take the time to understand and realize that being older doesn't mean you're always right yes very and true that, and that you can learn from people who are younger than you too mm-hmm. so you know, that's really important because uh, like initially my dad he tells the story all the time about like how his stubbornness mm-hmm. almost caused me like to, to stop my business, like back in high school, yeah, just because he was telling me to go to bed, mm-hmm. so I can get up and go to school. But I'm like, it's 700 people on this Facebook Live watching me paint. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm, like, I'm like, school can wait another hour. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> heard you. So it's really just that understanding, um, mm-hmm. just and just being open to learn from a new generation because the world we live in is a million times different from like the world they grew up in. Yeah. And with social media, it's basically it's like an underground railroad to success almost. Because like any, mm-hmm. there's so many communities, so many people. There's a community out there for everything. Yes, I mean seven billion people in the, in the world, so anybody can leverage social media to make a way for themselves. Yeah, and I think a lot of times, like, you know, older parents, grandparents, whatever, mm-hmm. they didn't grow up with it. And with them, it was, like, back then, you had to go to college. Yeah. If you wanted to get any kind of reasonable job, you had to look a certain way, dress a certain way. Like, now I have, I have my hair kind of like a afro. It's not freeform locks, but it's, it's like the curly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's in this natural state. And yeah. when I was coming out here for my internship, like, my dad was like, you going to go out there with your hair like that? <laughs> and I, I, <laughs> <laughs> I feel that one to my core. <laughs> you know, and, they be asking that question, like, bruh. Really? Yeah. I didn't take it hard. Cause I know he's just trying to look, up, look out for me because he's my dad. But yeah. I was like, yeah, because especially in the entertainment industry, it was important for me to look like I do yeah, and be in that space and mm-hmm. succeed. So the people, majority white industry. Mm-hmm. So for them to be able to see people with the curly hair and who wear Jordans, they can also do this. They can also be artists too. Like yeah. we're not all in the NBA, we're not all rapping and doing all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Like we can be artists, we can be singers, we can be whatever we want. And the texture of my hair doesn't determine how talented I am. Yeah. So so mainly just that place of understanding is really what I think the older generation needs to improve on. Cool. Definitely valid. I can definitely resonate with that too, just because I personally am growing my hair out right now from the one of our episodes, Andrew Johnson. He was a high school wrestling player who had to cut his dreads off in the middle of a match. And just seeing oh, yeah. that, that actually just really got me very angry and upset. And because of that, I just said, you know what, I'm going to grow my hair out for people who are still in situations where their environment doesn't allow them to just be who they are naturally because of basically racism and just ignorance. So that's a good point that you make. And I think we're actually moving in a right direction because in New York City, they have actually passed a law that you can't be discriminated against for for your hair type. So 
things are moving in in the in a new direction. So that's great. And I, I I like what you said. Yeah, us the older generation do need to kind of be able to just sit back and not think that we have all the answers. And that's something I try to do regularly where I like listening to music that younger people are listening to or what they're watching and stuff, just because I don't want to be that guy like, yeah, back in my day, uh, we used to have that. Uh, like, yeah, yeah, with the cane. Right. <laughs> but yeah, the, I, I really like that answer. Um, so we love illustrations like yours, especially when you turn, and th- this really like speaks to me um where you like turn anime characters that are predominantly white and turn them into brown and black people can you speak to the importance of representation and seeing yourself on television or on the big screen representation is definitely one of the most important things to me as an artist mm-hmm. because like growing up i didn't see that and you know five six seven year old me wasn't thinking about that yeah because um, like, if you look at like all my drawings Basically, when I was younger, that was like when the first Spider-Man movie came out. Yeah. And you know, everybody in there was white. So I, I would color in white. But, um, you know, Spider-Man, like all the superheroes, all white. When I started like an anime, everybody all white. And I, I didn't really think about it, like the effect that it had on me when I was younger. Mm-hmm. But um, it was really stuff like like the Proud Family. Hey. Um, hey. Brought it back. Those shows. Like my dad was a big Cosby show fan. Okay. So I, I used to watch that growing up, and just being able to see that it really makes a big difference. And, and now that did you get I, to I see the Boondocks? Oh, the Boondocks too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. The Boondocks is definitely my favorite thing. Like, yeah, comic strip show. It, that is my definitely my biggest influence. Yeah, my favorite it is my favorite thing. Definitely and real. Just being able to to see that really makes a huge difference. Um, and it's gotten better now, you know, with things like Black Panther. Yeah. Yes. And, uh, I don't know if you've seen Craig of the Creek, the Cartoon Network. No. Mm-mm. You should definitely check that out. Okay. We'll do. Like, the writing on that show is definitely, like, authentic Black family. Um, because that's another thing, another problem I've seen is, like, sometimes it may be representation, but it's stereotypical representation, negative yeah. representation. Yeah. And that kind of stuff is just, it really happens way too often. Mm-hmm. But and now, like whenever I get a chance to, you know, reimagine Dragon Ball Z, they were black. Um, you know, Naruto, they were black. Whatever. It's really making the child in me who never saw that. It's making that person like happy. Okay. Just because it's just giving me a chance to see myself as a superhero or see myself as another president or anything like that. Great. And I'm glad you're speaking about what makes you happy and seeing yourself as such in terms of representation. I think it's very imperative that young black children, boys and girls, feel that safety of being happy and joy. What is your definition of black boy joy and how does it resonate with you? Really just being unapologetically you. Like whatever that, whether. <laughs> plug, honey, whether, whether plug. You, whether, you, whether you like the crochet, whether you like the. Sing, when you like to dance, yeah. gymnastics, basketball, whether you have short hair, long hair, waves, locks, whatever. Uh, it's really just being able to be you mm-hmm. and be okay with being yourself. Yes. Which is definitely an underrated skill. Yeah, no, it's very true. Very, very true. Yeah, big time. And I don't know if you know that, but that's actually the one of the models of the show, Be Who You Are. And 
when you can just be unapologetically yourself, I think that's when the world just opens up to you. Yeah. A lot of times, especially yeah. with social media, people can put on a persona. But they're I doing think, it for clout. Exactly. When you're being yourself, it's authentic. And a lot of times people see that and they're just like, they don't even know how to react yeah. to that just because it's so different. Facts. It's just something I think a lot of people don't think about. It's almost like people think they have to, like, jumping on trends. Yes. And that's something that I, I really don't like to do. So it's like all my art, it's, it's all stuff I like. If it happens to be popular at the time, like the raw thing was, then so be it. But that came from a completely genuine and authentic point. Yeah. Yeah. And now I think that's why it went viral because it was literally just me being funny. And millions of other people thought it was funny. I think Will Smith had a quote where he was like, the best thing you can do is be aggressively genuine. Mm-hmm. Mm, I like that. Very, and very that, true. Like, ever since I, heard, since I heard that, that really changed, really changed my life. I'm like, that's how people will be able to relate to you. That's how people will attract it to your work, to anything you produce. Because people know when you're just doing something because mm-hmm. it might be popular or trending at the time. But if I drew a picture of the Proud family all growing up or something, and then people might be able to look at that and be transported back to the time when they were eight or nine years old and saw the Proud mm-hmm. family for the first time on TV. And Penny Proud was the first time she might have saw a black girl like herself. Yeah, valid. And so seeing that in 2019, she transport them back to 2009, and they can relive that feeling that they felt. So, mm-hmm. so being genuine is definitely the most important thing. I, I, um, I had a crush on Penny back then. <laughs> now this, she's Louise. Um, I'm glad you spoke to on trend and like what people do in terms of like being popular. And I think one of the aspects of that is bullying too, because that has become like a thing. And we've noticed with your generation and younger, it's now suicide is becoming one of the leading results of bullying. Like that's the alternative. Growing up for us, it was when, you know, you get jumped, you, you fought, you <laughs> lost, you just kept it pushing, you know, somebody jump, you get yeah. your cousin Pookie and, um, and y'all just get it the next week. Now, <laughs> People out here hanging themselves, killing themselves, and we just want to get your take on what's going on with bullying, and do you think the schools are doing enough to dismantle that in any way, or is it just left up to the, the victim to kind of handle it on their mm-hmm. own? Yeah. Um, honestly, this whole thing is just crazy. Like, I have a younger brother who's 11, and, mm-hmm. and I'm 19 now, and just in the eight-year gap, we live in almost like two totally different worlds. Mm. Yes. Like I, I grew up before everybody having smartphones was a thing. Yeah. And, and I think with the rise of social media and the increased access to it, I think that exposed like a lot of kids to like maybe what suicide was, how they could commit suicide Valid. and things That's like that. True. That's a good point. Because, exposure because like, I didn't even know what suicide was until I was like, nine or ten wow. and because now they can just literally look up anything and i think that really opened the pandora's box mm-hmm. and as far as the school side um really not 100 percent sure because I, I think bullying is one of those things where it takes people speaking up yes and it's like there's a principal in the school with 600 kids and 50 of them are getting bullied and none of the 50 say anything I would guess from like from the principal's perspective like there's only so much he can do if if he has no leads if he if he doesn't know who to target mm-hmm. who's doing it where it's coming from yeah, yeah. so um honestly this is a tough one I think most of it 
really comes from home and like how the kids are raised yeah. and the foundation that, that they get. The foundation um, is very important. Yeah. It seems like almost every day these kids who hanging themselves just sad. I, I mean, it's, it's, it's really sad. It is. And I, I think just to add to that, with, like you said, with social media, these bullies have access to you 24-7. You can't leave school and be like, oh, I'm going to go home and be with my friends on my block and I'm good. It's like, no. Yeah. yeah. The DMs is getting that crazy. Is, so that definitely adds like an ultra that factor that true. wasn't there before. Mm-hmm. That's something I, I didn't think about that because even if you got bullied all throughout school, like back in the day, you, you know, you could just go home and you can first figure out a way to do it or deal with it. But, but yeah, now it's cyberbullying. That's mm-hmm. like, really what seems to be there. Yeah, that's the another bigger, layer bigger. of it too. Because that wasn't, it didn't happen back in the day with us, like yeah. you said. Cyberbullying yeah, wasn't true. a thing. So now it's becoming a thing and then people not knowing when to cut off. And I think also too, as you're becoming older along transitioning in your youth, you're trying to figure out yourself and your individuality and Keeping a hundred, y'all don't know yourselves. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. I didn't know myself. Pierre don't know. I don't even think Pierre still knows himself now. <laughs> to be quite frank with facts, you, facts. <laughs> but it's just, and it's no shade. We're all grown. We're yeah. all. You're not supposed to know all of who you are at 18, 19, damn near 10 years old. You're not supposed to be doing that. You know what I'm saying? At 10, you're supposed to be at Chuck E. Cheese getting some slices of pizza and chilling. <laughs> so you may not know all of yourself, and that's fine. But transitioning through your youth, I think it's a big deal. And individuality and also the foundation at home. How do you know yourself and understand yourself from being from home? Luckily with you, you've been raised with great parents in a sense of them exposing you to art, the Renaissance and everything. You are cultured. You are woke, woke. One of the main reasons why we want to have you on the show as well. And also to speaking of your wokeness, um, there are a lot of candidates running for the presidential election. We are very big proponents of voting. Um, hence why we got the man in office now, because people ain't want to show up to the to vote. <laughs> so we just want to get your take on who you're rooting for and why. I think it's, it's too early for me personally just okay. to, to support a candidate. Be honest. I like that. Keep it on it. One, it's, it's like they got the Avengers and Justice League trying to fight Donald Trump. all these kids. I like the southern shade. (laughs) (laughs) He shaded it, Keith. I mean, between like Kamala Harris, Cory Booker, Lisa Warren, Andrew Yang. I mean, it's like, oh my God. (laughs) Oh God, I'm scared. And and then, anyway, Kamala Harris and those people who are excited because she's a black woman, she's a Howard, aka, but then. Look at a prosecuting mm. record, and then it's that. <laughs> and then Corey, it's Bo- that. Corey Booker, he, he did y'all see that clip <laughs> that, that he said to Joe Biden about the Kool Aid? Yeah. Yes, yeah, that was that was <laughs> a bit that was a bit he, interesting. He's saying stuff like that. Well, boy, you've never used that expression. Like, before. never. <laughs> and you can tell just by the way he's saying it, you can tell it was hard for him to use. And I'm like, I'm going to need you to chill with this one. That, like, let's yeah, do something else. Someone got that from <laughs> Let's do something else. He was better off with CP time because yeah. that Kool Aid <laughs> shit wasn't good, there, bro. And it's like, really, <laughs> really, Donald Trump really shook up the whole world because Donald Trump is essentially, he's a majority in America. And that's why he won. And it's like now the Democrats, are, it almost seems like they want the Republicans to win with all the different Democratic candidates that they have because Donald Trump won because his people are going to go out and support no matter what. Yeah. Whether he's, he says he hates black people, whether mm-hmm. he says he hates Muslims, whether he, no matter what he says, his people are going to support rain, sleet, snow, whatever. Mm-hmm. And the Democratic front is 
completely divided. Yeah. And this is true. <laughs> so really, at this point, all you can do is do your research, vote for the best candidate. Um, I would say right now, I'm probably leaning more towards Elizabeth Warren. Okay. Um, just because I like her stance on HBCUs, also mm-hmm. the student loan plan that she's been talking about. Yeah, she's going to introduce her, a bill to cancel yeah. 640 yeah. billion in student loan. What is your take on that? Do you think that's even achievable? And what would you like to see happen with that? Well, for one, student loans ridiculous. Facts. Like, oh, you old Sally Mae too? <laughs> <laughs> Hit me like that sometimes. She'll kick in six yeah. months after graduation, so live your life up, okay? Yeah. That's how that goes. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, it's just taking some action is better than no action. Yes, um, I like that. Dropping and little gems on the show. It, Go ahead, Elijah. Yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> so, student loans are, that's the number one debt in America. More than military, more than anything. And student loans are, you have them. Like, you can't file a plane rush, you can get rid of them, you can't do nothing. When you die, they pass on to your next, I next in power. I and I mean, so if, if there is a way, you know, for that to be relieved, just learn something today, Pierre. But, but I want it to be the most, feasible way yeah because now with the, especially on the democratic front it mm-hmm. seems like that a lot of the candidates are just saying hot button issues almost yes. like how, how you remember in uh, like elementary school yeah. they both like class president they'd be like you all both me we get kool-aid in the <laughs> <laughs> with Kool-Aid some of zombie water water cookies that was, that was like, booker <laughs> <laughs> yeah like, like both me will have pizza and ice cream every day, and it's almost seeming similar to that on the Democratic side with the student loan thing, um, the HBCU mm-hmm. funding. Mm-hmm. So really, it's kind of a mess right now. So the main thing I, I have been doing is just watching the debates, and making sure that I read about the candidate. Yeah. history because the history will more often than not it will tell you what they're going to do in the future. So. Um, that's really the main thing. I like that. Yeah. I like that. Yeah, Thank de- you. At, at 19, I was definitely not on it like that. Facts. <laughs> I <laughs> damn sure. And I wasn't half as woke as he was dropping Seriously. names from the Renaissance. But this is good. That gives you me hope for the next generation being able to yes. just carry things on and just move progress forward. Facts. Thanks again, Elijah, for that. Um, So we're going to be switching gears into Key's Tea segment. You know, I like to keep it nice and spicy and hot for y'all. You talking shit? Nah, just spitting facts. It's Keys T. Aiku Lee Simmons wrote a poem feeling sensitive for white girls. Um, very interesting poem, by the way. Just want to really speak about that and how the public kind of responded to it. So she stated, I am sensitive to white girls when they get the boys, the jobs, the things I wanted, even if they don't get them. Those rare times, they never wonder if it is because of the color of their skin. I am left to wonder if I lost out because of mine. I am sensitive to white girls, or perhaps the word is jealous. So aware of them when they walk through the world free, these kind of doubts. One less thing on their shoulders, one less worry to bear. I'm sensitive for white girls, for the doubts we all face, the glass ceilings we all try to break, the discriminations we all fight. But I can't help but wonder about white girls. How does it feel to not constantly be told you are not beautiful or not enough in this hurtful world? So I appreciate her speaking out about this and having a poem. And keeping in mind, she's young. She's transitioning into college. She actually got accepted into Harvard. So congratulations on her behalf. Um, But just wanted to speak to that and about her drafting this poem. And the fact that the young girl within her, not pertain her age group, but her demographic of how she feels and see 
what's going on in terms of these issues of segregation within our community in a sense of how white girls are treated differently from women of color. Now, granted, Aiku is light-skinned. She's multiracial. She's half Asian and half black. So uh, some people may say, well, you know, it's not like you dark skin and you fully all the way black. You know, those are those interpretations being sent around. That's not necessarily valid. She's still black. Even though she may be light skin, she may have some level of privilege, especially because of socioeconomic status. But that does not mean that she cannot go through certain levels of oppression of her being a woman of color, especially being a black young woman. You know, it's not hard looking at her and telling her she's black. So the fact that she's cognizant of these things at her age, I think that's very important. And just to kind of see how the public is reacting to it. Some people saying, well, I don't necessarily feel bad or sensitive for white girls. So maybe it's the the play on words, being sensitive. But then she did say in a poem about being jealous. Perhaps it could be jealousy. But is it really jealousy if someone's afforded opportunities and benefits that you're not because it is your skin color when you're you're supposed to have equal opportunity like when we talk about jealousy in that context i'm like is it really jealousy or is it because that person is benefiting and you should be benefiting just as much as they are so i get her point in her poem and i really respect her for really having this conversation putting this poem out there and being unapologetically herself by doing it she ain't apologized she just spoke on it from being a young girl of color and i think it's very important that we're having these conversations. And whether you agree with her stance on it or not, these are very important conversations to have among young girls of color, among young girls, period, when it comes to race relations. I realized it growing up, I wasn't able to contextualize until I got to college and I found the proper wording, mm-hmm. then got to my feminist studies. And I realized you're reaping benefits because of the color of your skin and who you are, but I'm not reaping the same benefits because of the color of my skin and who I am. And back to her point, which I think is very potent, and I just want to end on this note, is the fact that you have to help to wonder how does it feel not to constantly be told that you are not beautiful or you're not enough. Imagine not being told that. So in your mind, you're always going to think that you're number one and you're better. We never was afforded those opportunity. And that's Key's tea for you. (laughs) Damn, thank you, Key. Because everything you said in that and listening to that poem, that resonated with me in terms of just being dark-skinned. And so, yeah. I think that's very powerful, and I feel like I'm excited about everything that the young generation is doing. Yes. Like, just having you on the show, Elijah. Yes. Seeing what um, Aiko was writing. Like, the young generation is definitely vocal and are just progressive and just speaking out and doing doing the work that needs to be done and having the conversations yes. that need to be had to, to progress and move forward. So. Thank you for sharing that. And, and you're welcome. And thank you, Elijah, for being a part of our show. We're really excited to have you a part of our show. We know this is the only beginning for you. Yeah. There's more on the horizon. So don't forget us when you get big. You know <laughs> what I'm saying? Don't forget the little people. And we want you back on the show physically here so we could talk to you face to face, you know, get the smiles in and whatnot and the facial expressions because you look like you be giving hella southern shade and I need to see it, honey. <laughs> Okay. I, I, I'll sit in the middle because <laughs> separate you two. He likes him a little younger. <laughs> Don't even try to play me. I mean, I just like you. I like to groom him, you know? I like to groom him. Tease it. But um, thank you so much, Eliza, for being on our show. Just wanted to end on this note. What do you have up and coming projects that you want to share with our audience we can promote for you? And also any last minute gems you want to drop on the people that's listening to the show. Go ahead. You got it. Any girl at school you got a crush on, you're trying to, you're trying to put it out there. He's probably there trying to have a hot boy summer. Let him go. He can't be putting out all the juices out there. City, all the Kool-Aid. City boy, you heard? Are <laughs> bringing that line back to Kool-Aid? Go ahead, Elijah. As far as like personal projects, 
main thing I'm working on is a like comic series oh. that will be based on like life experiences mm-hmm. as a black soon to be twenty year old and like the different things I experience and go through. Yeah. So I'm like the personal side, that's the main thing I'm working on. Um, oh. and in the meantime I'll be finishing my internship here at Warner Brothers. Cool. And congratulations be, on that internship. Yeah, uh, thank you. And after that I'll be starting my junior year of college at FAMU. There's a couple of things I'm working on, but can't really see what they are All yet. All right. That's fine. And I'm glad but, you're leaving it on that note. That's fine. Yeah. No worry. We don't want you to speak on stuff that you can't speak on yet, but yeah. on the stuff that but, you are that you can speak on, we do appreciate yeah. that. <clears throat> and is there anything else you want to just drop before you let listeners know where they can find you and connect with you? Yes. Yeah. Um, maybe, like I said before, just keep going and Believe in yourself, nice. because that even when other people don't, uh, it'd be hard. But if you do it and just just keep going, keep the faith, whatever aspiration you have, it'll, it'll come in due time. Nice, nice. And where can they find you on social media if they want to slide in the DMs real quick? <laughs> um, all my social media is is at fix my soul. That's F I X M Y. S O L E. That's on uh, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Awesome. I also have a website, which is uh, www.fixmysoul.com. Sweet. Nice. Thank and we'll you. include that all in our um, show notes so you'll have that. Once again, thank you for tuning in. Make sure you purchase our ringtones at the Tune Store for Android users and at the iTunes Store for our Apple users. You know you like that silky, smooth sound in the background. Please follow us on IG and Twitter at Unapologetic underscore you can make donations at our patreon account by searching unapologetically different all of our episodes are posted on itunes please 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 make sure you rate review and subscribe make sure you drop a comment good bad or indifferent if you get fancy you're gonna get a clap back now (laughs) so don't try me but make sure you leave a comment so we know the love is real you can also find us on spotify soundcloud google play stitcher by searching unapologetically different stay tuned for our next episode bye